deal. So let me just ask you, what's your list of adjectives if someone was to ask you to describe yourself? You don't have to shout them out. You can if you think you have particularly good ones. If you think your adjectives are better than the next person's adjectives, uh, feel free to share them with us. But how do you describe yourself? What, who are you? If you have to answer that question, what are the things that you say? Um, and let's probably qualify that with, like, there's some things that you would know, everyone would know. There's some stuff that's sort of public knowledge about who you are. There's some stuff maybe that's private knowledge that you wish we knew, and then there's probably some stuff that you think is true, but you wouldn't ever tell anyone, right? So if I was to perform this experiment on myself, you'd go like, okay, well, white, male, South African, those are probably, you know, everyone kind of knows that. And the order you put that in is quite important, isn't it? Like some people are really into the one, or really the other's a big deal for them, or maybe there are other things that are more important than those signifiers. But then you'd say some other stuff that's true of you. I would go, well, you know, there's two people in this world who call me dad. That's quite a big deal for me. Uh, I am someone's husband. I'm someone's son. I am a specific kind of cyclist uh, in that I'm a road cyclist, not a mountain biker. Mountain bikers are not cyclists. They are bikers. It's a different thing. Um, and so... <laughs> bothers me and is probably completely pointless for most people, but I'm like, that's like who I am, you know, white socks of a certain length, or you're not wearing the correct clothing. Uh, I'm, I'm a fountain pen user and an iPhone user, not a big pen Samsung user, and um, I've linked those two ideas together. <coughs> All right, here we go, it's getting spicy this morning. Um, I watch football and not rugby, if I can help it, and never soccer. Um, I watch football. And there are other things like that that are sort of like true of me, like outdoorsy, whatever. Then there's probably stuff I think is true of myself, which I wouldn't share normally. I think most guys, when you look at yourself in the mirror, you're like, handsome devil. <laughs> Regardless of whether there's any information to confirm that or not. Um, you know, like being, I mean, I'd probably go, like, I'm... I'm an optimist. I think that's like a part of who I am, which means I prefer to be unpleasantly surprised than pleasantly surprised. <laughs> um, and I'm suspicious of people who call themselves realists because I think they're just pessimists. <laughs> and, uh, and there are other things about me. I could say like I'm, a, I'm not particularly emotional. I'm like a rational person, not very good at feeling things. I would say, uh, I guess, that I'm smart, like if I'm being honest, like that's a thing, it's like part of my identity, or outdoors, whatever, and I'm interested to know what would be on your list, but then there's also some stuff that you would maybe accept as true of yourself, which is not great, that there's some ways you think, when you make that same mistake again, or when that thing goes wrong again, there may be a part of you, maybe you've so internalized that you don't even hear it that clearly any longer. But if you had to be pushed on it, you're like, yeah, I, I really hope they never find out. <laughs> I'm doing my best to try to make sure they don't find out. But there's also that other thing about me that's true. And that's why those calamities keep happening to me. That's why I can't get that part of life right. Because I am X, fill in the blank, a failure in this area, a disappointment in this area, limited in this area that I don't actually deserve much better than that in that area, that I'm trying to fool all of the people all of the time. 
but if they really knew, right? And your list is pretty important. Here's why it's so important. Because it is impossible for you or I to behave for any length of time in a way that is contrary to what you believe about yourself. It's impossible. Please just buy that this morning if you, if you weren't convinced beforehand. That if you believe something is true of you, that dictates how you will behave. And so you can't behave contrary to what you think is true of you for any length of time. You might want to stop treating yourself in a certain way. You might want to kick that habit. You might want to end that type of behavior. But as long as you believe that that is who you are and that is what you do and that way of treating yourself is legitimate, you will keep doing that no matter how many courses you go on, promises you make, accountability you invite, shame you invite on yourself, harder you try. None of that stuff will work. Because if fundamentally believe, but I actually am a liar. Like, I just am. Then... You can't be truthful for any length of time as long as you believe that about yourself. So, if we've believed some lies about ourselves, that's a big deal, right? If we've allowed ourselves to be deceived, if we've bought into something about ourselves that is actually not true, that's a really big deal because as long as you believe it's true, you will behave out of it. Because you can't behave for any length of time contrary to what you believe about yourself. But I don't know that this is hugely new information, but it's just worth reminding ourselves of. Because as you look again at your list, what happens if you've got some of that wrong? Particularly the negative stuff. But maybe even some of the positive stuff. Some of the things that you're building your identity on. It's really important for me that I am always seen as smart. Right? What if that gets shaken? Your identity, what you believe about yourself, what you believe to be true about yourself, influences directly what actually happens in your life and how you behave. And God has some things to say about what is actually true of us. And surely we should be wanting to get our hands on that information. And surely if there's any delusion, if there's... Oh, it's a triangle. Beth is pointing out to everyone. Uh, Sorry about that. Um, If there's anything that I've accepted which is not true, which is causing me pain then I ought to root that out as best I can. I want to show you a moment where this goes from empty theory to quite a practical interaction. Jesus is just so cool. And he, we're about to discover him. You don't have to turn there necessarily, but he's hungry in this moment, okay? 40 days hungry, hangry, probably. And um, interestingly, he's not done any official ministry yet. God has orchestrated this showdown between Jesus and the devil. Um, because it seems even Jesus shouldn't be let loose on the earth until he's got his identity clear. Even Jesus can't be trusted to begin his ministry. And I use that quite blasphemous-sounding phrase on purpose. Even he can't get stuck into his mission in life until he's got his identity absolutely certain. Because if he smuggles into his life, any lies about himself, they'll cause him and us great damage, I believe. And so he has this appointment with the tempter in Matthew chapter 4. And I'll paraphrase it for you, but he's out there 40 days fasting, hungry, and this devil comes to him and says, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Now let's just make it clear, Satan's not particularly novel or original, And so what you see him doing to Jesus now 
actually has a whole lot in common with what he does to Adam and Eve in the beginning. And it's exactly what he will continue to do, has been doing to you. And whether or not you've believed a lie doesn't change the fact that you've been lied to, right? Whether or not you believe you're in a battle doesn't change the fact that you're in one. It only changes how likely you are to win, whether you believe you're in one or not. And so Satan has been trying to trick us in exactly the same way he's about to try to trick Jesus. If you are who you say you are. If you're as big a deal as you claim. If you are as important to God as you say you are, right? You say he's your dad. You say you're his son. You say he loves you so much. Fine. Stop the PR. If it's really true, (laughs) prove it. If it's really true that God is as good as you claim and is into you as you claim and you're as good as you claim, prove it somehow. And that is the oldest trick in the book. It is the main trick in the book and it's successful. Isn't it? Because somehow I do have to keep fooling all the people all the time. I have to somehow prove it in my life that I am what I've been claiming I am. And so Satan comes to him and his first tactic is around his appetites. I see you're hungry. I see you're longing for that thing. And you probably deserve that thing. Sir, ma'am, this morning, yeah, you shouldn't have to go without. You shouldn't have to suffer in that area. Do you want that thing? And you should want that thing. That thing's delicious. Now, here's what you need to do. Just prove yourself in order to get it. Just prove yourself. Jesus answers, it's written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Man shall not live on his appetites alone. That thing that I'm longing for, sure, it's tasty. Sure, it's nutritious. Sure, I need that experience. I need that satisfaction. I need what God has to say about me more than I need that thing. Are you noticing the parallels? I don't want to over draw the link, but surely we can see this, right? That there is something in your life, think about it now, that you really love. I love fun. I love adventure. I love newness. I love being seen to be competent, right? I love the various things that you love. And you feel unsatisfied when you don't have them, when you're bored, when you're limited, when you're trapped in some way. And the tempter, I promise, if he hasn't already, will come and say, okay, yeah, you deserve to have that thing you want. In fact, let me inflame it a little bit. Let me show you some other people on Instagram who really have that thing, right? And then as you start feeling insecure about why you don't have it, I'm going to go, well, if you really are, if God loves you as much as you claim, if he's as into you as you claim, if you're as good as you claim, prove it in some way or fake it until you make it. And Jesus says, I don't need to prove that God loves me. I don't need to prove that he is my dad. I just know. I know he's my dad. I know he loves me. And so I don't need to force the issue. I don't need to get this need met in order to prove that. I just know. I don't need to drop a rock to show you that gravity works. I just know that it works. And you can present any theological, scientific, whatever argument you want to me to say that gravity doesn't exist. And I'm like, try again. I know it works, right? And the place I think that Jesus is trying to lead us to is that I could present any psychological, theological, scientific, historical argument to you going, look at all the reasons why God doesn't love you and you're not that good. And you get to say, it's like gravity. I just know. I just know he loves me. I know I'm his child. 
I know he's my dad. And knowing that is so satisfying that I could go without if I have to go without. And that's, the, that's when you're cooking with gas, right? When you're able to say, yeah, there are these other things that I long for. And friends, I say this as someone who's starving in certain areas, right? Like you, there are things I want that I don't have. But when I'm able to just know that I'm his son, that he loves me, that is satisfying enough. Satan changes tactic after that. He goes, okay, you're going to quote scripture at me? I'll throw some scripture at you. So the next thing he says, he takes Jesus to a, um, a high point in the holy city and has him stand on the edge of the temple. And he says, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you. They will lift you up in their hands so that you won't strike your foot against a stone. He takes him somewhere scary where there's some vertigo. And then he quotes the scripture to him saying, you don't need to be scared. Prove it. Prove that God will protect you. And Jesus responds with another piece of scripture. It's also written, don't put the Lord your God to the test. And I read that and I'm like, okay, but if the devil starts using Bible at me, what if I'm not as clever as Jesus in that moment to know the other Bible I'm supposed to quote back, right? Like, that's pretty major deception. That's tricky. Because you have to think, well, what would that actually look like in my life? Or what if someone's preaching heresy to me? What if someone's telling me things like Job's friends in the Bible, quoting scripture saying, no, well, this is why this is going on in your life. It's your fault for this or that reason. God's holding out on you for this or that reason. Here's some scriptures. What if I'm not a genius like Jesus and I'm able to go, well, no, you're using that scripture wrong. I'm supposed to use this scripture. And Well, here's how you know. Here's the cheat code. It started with, if you are the son of God. Ding, ding, warning light on the dashboard. Whatever is about to come after that is error. If it starts with, if you are a child of God, if he loves you, right? So find whatever scripture you need to find to rebut it because you know it's a lie. If it starts on the premise, you need to prove something that God might be holding out on you or you might not be good enough and you're going to have to prove it in some way. You already know it's a lie. If you, my fears are being inflamed and out of my insecurity, out of my feeling unsafe, I'm not like, huh, maybe I need to do something to make myself feel more safe. Well, if anyone's trying to tell me that, I know it's a lie. It starts from the point of prove it if he really loves you. Well, then clearly it's like the gravity thing. I don't need to prove it. It should be possible for me to get to a place where I don't need to prove it where I'm so certain that even if everything is shaken and there are all sorts of reasons for fear, I am so certain that he is for me, that he loves me, that I don't even need to put it to the test. That's where Jesus is able to get. So again, the devil takes him to a very high mountain and he shows him all the kingdoms of the world, all their splendor, all the kudos, and he says, I can put you in charge of all this. I can give you the respect of all these people. I can make you a celebrity. I can make you... I can make your wildest dreams come true. Just worship me. And Jesus sees straight through that one and goes, no, I, I'm not going to worship you. I'm not going to worship anybody but my father. Get away from me. And Jesus wins. So let's just think again about what's been offered to Jesus. Your appetites. I'm going to inflame the things you long for. Your fears. I'm going to heighten your insecurity. And now your sense of wanting to be significant, right? That desire that your pride has to be seen, to have kudos, to have status. He's going after those same three things with all of us all the time, isn't he? I'm so afraid of this stuff. I really need 
Uh, I so long for that stuff I really need. I want to be seen in a certain way. I want my life to look a certain way to everyone else I really need. And the answer to all of those is no, the stuff that God has to say about you, His love for you, is enough to satisfy when you're being faced with that onslaught. And all of it comes back to identity, friends. Do you see that? All of it, it doesn't start with, I just want you to behave badly and you need to try to behave better. I just want you to choose badly and you need to just know enough Bible to choose right. No, it all comes back to if you are the child of God. Because you can't behave for any length of time inconsistently with what you believe about yourself. And so Satan goes, well, if I can shake your identity, I know tomorrow or the next day I'll get you to do that thing that right now you would never contemplate doing. But I'm going to start with who you believe you are. I'm going to start with who you think you're talking to when you're talking to yourself. Because we do talk to ourselves, don't we? And we say some horrible things to ourselves sometimes. And we interpret our lives and we try to make sense of what's going on and we accept stuff. And that's the space that Satan wants to play in. Can I just make the point? Isn't it amazing that the God of the universe, who goes to all this trouble to come and be with his people, is interested to waste time, waste time, dealing with this intimate, squishy inside stuff? Just think about that for a second, right? He hasn't come and gone, I want certain building projects started, and I want some sacrifices, and I want better behavior, and I want to reorganize the structure of society, and I want... It's like, I want to heal your heart. I want to help you with your insecurity. I just think it's so cool that he takes the time to invest there, that he wants to get you feeling okay about yourself, that he wants to get your inmost terrifying questions answered so that your heart can breathe out. Have you ever had those uh, dreams that you're really relieved to wake up from? Uh, The going to school with no pants on dream? Any takers on that one? Or... um, I um, agreed to do like the world's easiest bit of comrade seconding. I had to sing it second at one place only, up in Montecille, where no other seconders can get to because it's an impossible uh, traffic scenario. So I had to give something to someone. It's an easy job, right? One job. And the night before, I'm like, I wake up freaking out because I got distracted and got stuck in a conversation and missed the one guy I had to see. And now I'm running down the road thinking about the excuses I'm going to make and who I'm going to blame. And you wake up like, oh, thank goodness. <laughs> it's still Sunday morning. There's still time for me to get this right. When I used to be responsible for this whole operation a year ago, um, I used to, pastors, I think often, maybe it's just my neuroses, I had bad Sunday dreams often. Where, um, thank you, we're like vivid, man. There's no chairs in the room for some reason. Nobody knows where the chairs are, but they're not there. The sound system's not working. It's four minutes to eight. JJ can't get a tune out of his guitar. People are starting to arrive. There's no one to do anything. And I'm trying to put a brave face on it because what none of them know is that I've got no idea what I'm going to preach in 25 minutes, right? Ding, you wake up going like, ah, my gosh. Have you had those kinds of dreams, whatever they are? That feeling of relief when you wake up and go, it was just a dream. I think that psychological moment might be what most of Christianity is supposed to feel like. It's not real. It was a lie. It was a lie. It's not real. That's not true. You aren't that. You don't have to prove that. You aren't in trouble for that. You aren't a sinner in the hands of an angry God. You aren't a faker in the... 
eyes of a judging society. You're a saint. You're a child. You're loved, accepted, designed for glory and good things. It's a lie. It was just a dream. Oh, that's how it's supposed to feel. And so I want to take you to a place where Paul is now describing how to flick from the lie to the truth, essentially. I think that's what he's doing. And he's talking to the church in Colossae, in the letter we call Colossians. And he's going to kind of compare and contrast two lists, two kinds of ways of behaving and ways of thinking about yourself. And I think there is an amazing hinge in the middle that's worth having a look at. And this section of Scripture is titled, Living as Those Made Alive in Christ. How cool is that? Like, you want to read something like that. Like, how would I live if I want to live like someone who is alive in Christ? Not, not clinging on just barely, not semi-alive, not believing the right things but not really feeling the truth of it. No, live as those who are alive in Christ. This is what it looks like. Since then, you have been raised with Christ Set your hearts on things above. I'm in chapter 3, sorry. Uh, and if you wanted to find it, you're welcome to follow along with me. But I'm going to make some notes as we go. So since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. So that cues us, right? There's going to be some above things, that, some ways we could think, some good way, correct ways to think, and there's going to be some earthly ways to think that are going to result in earthly behaviors. And Paul's about to list the two. And it makes for unpleasant reading, familiar reading, but worth doing anyway. Um, let me get my lids off so that I'm ready when I need them. And he starts, interestingly, he says, For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God, where Christ who is, when Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Friends, truth about you, number one, you are designed for glory. You're designed to be glorious. And not maybe one day at some future date, because Jesus has already appeared, hasn't he? He's here, present tense. And so if your life is already hidden in Christ, and your appearance is now starting to be come like the appearance of Christ, if he's glorious, you're glorious. Like Matt was saying, the truth about God, I need to know that he is glorious, right? Truth about me, you need to know, well, small g, you're also glorious. Not grubby, not a disappointment. Glorious. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. It's a familiar list. But it's worth having a look at again. Sexual immorality. Impurity. Because this belongs to the old identity, right? Lust. Evil desires. And greed, which is idolatry. Idolatry is... Anything you think you can't do without. Anything you think you can't do without, you've started worshiping at some level and made it an idol in your life. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming. God hates this stuff. And it's uncomfortable. I don't like looking at a list like this any more than you do. And Paul is saying, 
This is the earthly way of thinking. Now, let me say that better. This is the stuff that happens when you believe the normal earthly things about yourself, right? Because think about what actually causes this stuff to happen. What appetites have been inflamed and lies have been told, which makes someone think, well, I can't control myself. What lies have been told about stuff you think you can't do without that it allows you to start to become greedy to the point of cutting off your fellow man at the knees in order to get more than you need. Like, what's gone on there? Well, a lie has been believed. And because of that stuff, because of what it does to you, because of what it does to your brothers and sisters, God hates it. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, past tense. So let's already be encouraged, because as far as God's concerned, this is already no longer true of you if you've accepted Jesus Christ. It's already not true of you. This is in the lie category. So you're not supposed to listen to this list and feel ashamed. You're missing the point if you're feeling ashamed as you listen to this list. The point is, it's not you. This doesn't come naturally to you anymore. This is who you used to be. You're not this. Regardless of what you just did four hours ago, you're not this. Regardless of what the evidence of your life is telling you and the accuser is exaggerating, you're not this. Perhaps you've believed this and as a result behaved that way, but that's contrary to your nature. It's not who you are. Similarly, also rid yourself of all such things as these, anger and rage, and then the served up cold version of it, which is called malice. So, you know, in um, American courtroom dramas, and they say, and you did kill so-and-so with malice aforethought, and Americans try to have fancy English. Um, malice is that idea, like, uh, it's not just the hot spurt of rage or anger, it's that, like, I've thought about it, and I've calculated it. Again, what lie has been believed by you or I that would get me to the point where I would accept that kind of internal environment for myself? Slander. I need to pull someone else down so that I can push myself up. Filthy language. Don't lie to each other. Since you've taken off your old self with its practices, you've put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge, in the image of its creator. We're going to come back to this. Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised. Do you know what this is? All the us's and them's fall away. And in fact, all the us's and them's are fueled by lies. Friends, society, more than at any stage, I think, before, is trying to create us and thems. Your, the algorithms that govern the Facebook feed you have have figured out which us you kind of approximate with, and they're trying to force you deep into that us. And then they're going to feed you some stuff that outrages you about the thems. Because we used to be a pretty individualistic society, and we're actually becoming much more of a collectivist society which means that the tribe you fall in, the clan you're part of, the people you identify with, society is desperate to force you into that so that you get outraged at the others. I don't know all the reasons why Satan is up to this, but this is a pretty clear move in society where you're being situated into certain groups and you're supposed to us and them as much as possible. It makes you easier to sell to. It makes you easier to get to vote certain ways, I suppose. And yet, it's based on a lie. 
All that stuff is based on a lie. All the hierarchy of, well, I'm better, we're better, it's based on a lie. So how does Paul compare and contrast? What does he go on to say? We're going to come back to that hinge in a second, but let's just carry on. So the circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, slave, all the isms, put that stuff to death. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. Okay, now we're getting into the good stuff, right? Clothe yourself with some stuff. So that's probably enough. Right? That's enough truth for most human beings to deal with. You're chosen. You're for glory. You're holy already. You're dearly loved. I was saying to some colleagues, I'm starting to think that the only valid definition of success is that you're able to believe and then receive love. Because all the other quote-unquote success, if it's fueled by trying to prove something, it's not success, it's slavery, isn't it? And all the other success, if I'm trying to do this to look a certain way, to convince everyone else and most importantly convince myself that I have some value, that's not success. You failed. If that's the reason you're amassing that good reputation or that fortune, you failed. I'm convinced that success is when you're able to go, no, I'm already designed for glory. I'm already chosen. I'm already loved. And I can get that here and I can then live out of it. I can receive. I can if someone has to say, what's on your list, Paul? I get to say, I'm, I'm a lucky, loved oak. Like, I'm loved. I'm a child. But that's the thing that's most true of me. Because that's what was true of Jesus, wasn't it? In that moment, no matter what sneaky stuff got thrown at him, or appetites got inflamed, or fears got exaggerated, Jesus is like, I'm a kid. I'm loved by my dad. Like, what can you say to me? I'm convinced I'm loved. I think this is success. And out of it, you're able to clothe yourself with the stuff that comes naturally to people who believe this. Do you know what comes naturally to people who believe this stuff? They're compassionate. They don't have to judge and fight and scrap because it's like, well, I'm already loved. I'd love you to be loved, right? There's no limit on the amount of love to go around, so we don't have to enter into an arms race to try and prove I'm better than you. I come kind. Humble. Isn't that interesting? That humility is actually based on that kind of confidence and that pride so often is based on insecurity. We know that. I mean, I think I've said that here enough times, but that really is how it works. Paul's putting kindness and humility on the same list as glory. If you know you're glorious, you can be humble. And if you don't know you're glorious, you end up having to slander other people and drag them down. Gentle. And patient, bearing with one another. Forgiving each other. If there's anything that you need to forgive, because you were forgiven. And over all these virtues, you put on love which binds them together. And then this might be one of my favorite sentences in the whole English language. That you let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. Since as members of one body you are called to peace. And you're thankful all the time. Wow, this is starting to look pretty ugly. Okay. And here's the end of it. 
Um, letting the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom, which means all of you are able to teach with wisdom. You're not dumb. No matter what someone might have once told you, you're not dumb. You're glorious, and you're able to do really good stuff. You're able to be a source of strength. You're not here simply to receive. You're here to give. You've got stuff to give. You're able to teach and admonish one another with wisdom. The message of Christ can dwell deeply and richly in every single one of you. And you've got stuff to minister. You've been designed to do good work. You've been designed for glory. So what's the hinge, right? What gets me onto this list? And can I just make one observation? Maybe there's some stereotypical South African males here. This is not a NAF list. Let's be clear. Because the person who is able to go into a fight where everyone's angry with one another and be gentle and forgive and take the hit, someone's got to take the hit, I'll take the hit in order for peace, that's the strong person, aren't they? That's the hero of the story. Not the person who has to beat their chest and fight to get what's owed them. The person who's able to forgive is the strong one. The person who's able to be gentle is the strong one. You know that, don't you? The person who has to show their strength all the time and with the size of their mags and the volume of their voice is not the strong one. They're the one who's not convinced they're strong and therefore has to prove it. But the person who knows they're loved and knows they're glorious and knows they have good stuff to offer and is strong like Jesus is able to be gentle and loving. And in fact, in the hardest of all human relationships, which is marriage, closely followed by parenting, you'll know that the ability to be gracious, the ability to keep being tender towards someone who is hurting you, is the most brave you can ever be. It's the most strong you can ever be, which means this is the heroic list. This is the impressive list. This is not some naff list. This is an epic list, because it's like what Jesus, my hero, is like this. So what's the hinge? Well, let's go back to verse 10 for a second. Sorry, from verse 9. So he's just said, don't lie. Since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge into the image of its creator. This transformation, this replacing of the list of lies with a list of truth doesn't happen with emotional experiences. It doesn't happen with by osmosis, by being around Christians, to be honest. Other things happen by being around Christians. This doesn't, which is why so many Christians still believe the wrong things about themselves. This doesn't happen by singing songs. This doesn't happen by just trying to behave better. This happens through knowledge. That's what it said. You have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge, in the image of its creator. You will look like God when you think like God. You will look like God when you think like God about yourself. No one gets transformed and remains ignorant when it comes to this. There's a process of having to apply truth to your brain and get it in. And you don't have to be clever to do this. You don't have to be some kind of book smart person. You simply have to be paying attention, I suppose, to the stuff that God has been saying about you and get into the habit of renewing your mind, of recognizing when I'm believing a lie, I'm behaving in this way that is contrary to my nature, 
And the Holy Spirit is telling my conscience that. I know that this is contrary to my nature. So instead of taking Satan's invitation into feeling ashamed, I'm going to switch my brain on and go, well, what do I believe that's making me angry right now? What am I so afraid of? What do I believe that's making all this impurity and all this appetite inflamed to the point where I think I'm a slave to it? What, what's happened? What lie have I believed that's making me think I need this so much that I can't control it? What lie have I believed that's causing me to treat people in the way I'm treating them? What is it that they have over me that I so desperately need to get one over them, etc.? You should, you should switch your brain on, not off. Because shame and guilt makes us switch our brains off and the invitation of Jesus is not switch your brain back on because you're already holy, you're already chosen, you're already loved. That's unnatural to you, so it should make you curious. Why am I behaving in this way? What lie have I believed? And then how do I replace it with the truth? I'm glorious, I'm chosen, I'm holy, I'm dearly loved. And if there's any debate about it, look what it cost Jesus to get you. He loves you and wants you. And so you apply this knowledge to your mind. And as a result you are renewed into the image of your creator. I find that hinge incredible. You have put off the old self, put on the new self. This knowledge is going to renew you. So can I just give you some knowledge? Is it me? I don't think it's me. Um, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone in Christ is in Christ, they are a new creation. So friends, you're a new creation. The old things have passed away Behold, all things have become new. Your lineage is no longer relevant. What happened ancestrally is no longer relevant. The old things are gone. The new has come. There is no more powerful DNA thread in you than your spiritual DNA, your new DNA. You've been grafted into a new family, a new bloodline. There's new stuff that comes naturally to you. It's a big deal. I'm sorry if this is, you've heard it 10 times or whatever. It's a big deal. My, the thing that is most true of me is that I'm God's son. It is the most true thing about me. And everything else can be stripped away. And in fact, sometimes it is stripped away. And in those moments, you're able to say like Jesus, it is enough. I don't have to live on this other stuff because what my father has to say about me is satisfying enough. 1 Peter 2 verse 9, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Galatians 2.20, you have been crucified with Christ and you, this you, no longer lives, but Christ lives in you. This life you now live in the body. You live by faith in the Son of God who loved you and gave himself for you. John 15, I no longer call you servants because a servant doesn't know what his master's business is. Instead, I call you friends. For everything that I learned from my Father, I have made known to you. So you are Jesus' friend. Yeah, but you don't know what I just did. No, he does. And you're his friend. He's your friend. He chooses to be your friend. Ephesians 2, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. You are designed to do good works. And that's just the tip of the iceberg, right? And knowledge is simply applying that and going, I'm going to believe that because success is being able to believe and receive that you're loved. 
And once you know that, it is impossible for you to behave for any length of time inconsistently with who you believe yourself to be. And so when you're talking to yourself, the person you're talking to is this person. And anyone who tells you otherwise is lying to you. I don't um, think I'm alone in this. But for the last year, I mean, I mentioned, like, I think of myself as an optimist. I think of myself as someone who can make sense of things. I think of myself as competent, all that stuff. And our last year has shaken every single one of those things. And I suspect many of you could say the same. I'm not, um, I don't think that it's unique or special. And it's not always pretty. Like in those moments where you're like, well, I used to think I'm an optimist, and now I'm convinced everything is definitely going to fail. <laughs> and I used to be someone who could make sense of things. And now every time some new information happens in my life, I'm replugging it into the Google Maps. And well, maybe I can redirect. Maybe it still makes sense because of that. Oh, but that's okay because. Maybe it will still make sense because this is just setting me up for that. And, oh, and eventually you're like, I can't redirect anymore. It makes no sense. It is pointless to try and make sense of this. And as a sort of story, strategic person, that's quite paralyzing. <laughs> and you're like, well, I don't know where this is going, so then why would I do anything? Because that's how I work. All of those things, you know, I'm a father, but then those moments where you're like, I don't know how to parent this kid. I don't even like this kid. They clearly don't like me. Like, you know. <laughs> In every one of those spaces, friends, it is possible, in fact, beautiful, I'm here to tell you, to have that stripped away for a moment. And to go, oh, I used to have the fact that I'm optimistic as a, like, that's who I am, and I'm secretly proud of that. And all the realists must, you know, and it's like, but now I'm convinced that, you know, life is going down the tubes. I'm still God's son. He still loves me. I'm still chosen by him. And in the moments when I don't apply that knowledge to my mind, I've been hard to be around. But in the moments that you do, big final point, you are incredibly helpful. You are incredibly powerful in scenarios where you're like, I don't need a defense. I don't have a defense. I'm so secure in the fact that I'm loved that if I've wronged you or messed up or this thing is happening in my life due to some shortcoming in me, I'm like, it's chilled. <laughs> Tell me what it is. If God can fix it, he can fix it. If not, his grace is sufficient. Like, I am his child. Not some slave who now has to try and fool all the people all the time and shore up my reputation. Like, oh, if I suck at that, I suck at that. That's okay. Because my being perfect was never what was at stake, right? It was never the thing that, what well, used to be the thing that my identity was built on. It can't be any longer. Friends, you are so powerful in conflict. So powerful in conflict when your identity is I'm a child of God. That means there's nothing you can take from me that I can't afford to lose. There's no, I don't have any skin in the game, which means I can just love. If I need to be the one to take the hit and forgive on your behalf, I, I can do that. I've been forgiven. When things get scary and all around you are losing their heads, you're able to keep yours because you know you're a child of God. Nothing can happen to you that can shake that, which means even if you're like the heroes of Hebrews who get to the end of their life and don't see the thing you're waiting for, you're still good. You still end ahead because he is so satisfying. And that's what I want for you because in those moments where I'm like every single thing that used to make me impressive to myself has been stripped away, you know that that's actually still a really beautiful place to be. What's left is still incredible. The words of the Father to you are enough and I don't want that stuff to be shaken for you. But... I suspect much of it already has been, and some of it will be. And if we fall into the trap of building our identities on anything to do with you, then this is the stuff that flows out of it. Those lies lead to this kind of behavior. 
and you have an opportunity to replace them with the truth because the truth, if you know it, will set you free. Amen.